So in many ways, this is probably going to be the hardest message I've ever had to preach because it's not my message. Um, it's Tim's message. It's Tim's notes. Uh, it's Tim's sermon series. Um, and it's really a lose-lose situation for me. If I preach a bad message, people will say, yeah, you know, Chad's not Tim. And if I preach a great message, people will say, well, you know, those were Tim's notes. So that's probably why it was such a good message. But then I reminded myself that I don't matter. Uh, and that ultimately, this is just a good opportunity for us to demonstrate the, the last mark, the plurality of leadership and eldership in the church. And the reality is, is that we are blessed to have Tim, Ron, and I, as well as our non-vocational elders, Ron, Dave, and, and John, to be part of a leadership team and to be together. Um, and so maybe in many ways, this is a great opportunity uh, for us to be uh, demonstrating that in our midst. But then there's also part of me that thinks, sure, Tim, you miss the one on church discipline. I really appreciate you leaving that one for me. Um, but it's all right, because it's God's word, and uh, we need to be willing to share God's word uh, because it's important, and that means every aspect of it. So if you have your Bibles with you uh, this evening, open them up to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is the passage of Scripture that is the go-to passage regarding uh, church discipline. And I really do appreciate the way in the video they introduced church discipline. It's not simply about correcting someone when they've done something terribly wrong to the point of, of having to excommunicate or separate them from the church. Um, no parent would say, the only discipline that they do is corporal or punishment. Uh, we, discipline is teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's ultimately what church discipline is all about. However, the most difficult part of church discipline uh, is when it comes to the point where someone won't listen. So we're just going to read verses 15 through 17 of Matthew chapter 18 uh, together. Uh, beginning in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If, re if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Our first point this evening is Mark 7, biblical church discipline. And, and biblical church discipline oftentimes gets a very bad rap because there's many people that don't really understand what it means. And some of that is because some churches have not done it well throughout the history. But church discipline takes place when a church member is involved in known willful disobedience to the teachings of Scripture and refuses to repent and turn from that disobedience even after being confronted by other church members and church leaders. Now that's a mouthful, but there's, very, uh, there's a lot of very important information in that 
quote, which we get directly from our scripture. First, it is known willful disobedience. You know, we're talking about serious sin in the lives of believers. And even when someone comes to them, a brother or sister in Christ comes to them and says, hey, you are, you are doing this and you're dishonoring the Lord with your attitudes, your actions, and your behavior. You're, being, you're bringing disgrace upon the Savior that you claim to love and serve. And this needs to change. And when somebody lovingly comes to a brother or sister in Christ with that challenge and that charge and that rebuke, and they say, I'll have none of it. I don't need to listen to that. Then it becomes a matter for the church to, to step in and become involved. And we see that, that such a person is to be removed from church membership at a public meeting of the church. The church is supposed to gather together and say, listen, this is not how a Christian is supposed to act. This is not the behavior that represents the love of Christ which is supposedly in you. And the church has to take action in that. You, we bring them to the church so that they will be called to repentance. We'll get to that a little bit later as well. But when a person is removed from church membership for disciplinary reasons, other church members are supposed to respond in a matter of discipline with them as well. There's no longer supposed to be the same kind of intimate communication and fellowship with that person that they had prior to their removal. That is one of the, the, uh, that is one of the challenges that we oftentimes face, is that, that as Christians we say, oh, well, you know, I still want to love that person. Well, any parent will be able to tell you that disciplining your child is sometimes the hardest thing to do. And to be consistent in discipline is really a great challenge. But a loving parent faithfully disciplines their child. And loving church members need to do the same. It's not always the easy thing to do, but it is the loving Thing to do because ultimately the, the goal is to bring them to repentance and if a person later repents of his sin and, and, and gives some kind of, of evidence that they've, they've said yeah I want to turn from that sin I want to do differently I want to walk with the Lord I know that that was wrong and I want to do a 180 and I, I need my relationship with the Lord to be restored then that person is supposed to be welcomed back into church membership and the fellowship that's what love does. Love, love says, yes, we will allow you. We want you to be back. We want you to be part of us. And this really ties in well with what we're going to be talking about next month for local evangelism. We're supposed to be more than just a group of people gathered together in this place. We're supposed to be a community, a body of believers. And what we have, the fellowship that we have, is so important to us in our walks with Christ. And, and as we go through life in this world, we need one another in the body of Christ. And so church discipline says we do need that. But you are so involved in sin that we have to take that fellowship away so that you will realize that your behavior is displeasing and dishonoring to God. 
You see, oftentimes it gets confused, but the purpose and goal of church discipline is the loving restoration of the person who is currently living in willful disobedience. If the purpose of church discipline is anything other than, than, than bringing that person back to a restored relationship with the Lord, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. The goal is to not cause harm. The goal is to not, get re- not to get revenge. The goal is to, in love, restore that person to their relationship with the Lord. And when you do that, then we can lovingly bring them back into the fellowship of the body of Christ. Church discipline is always to be carried out with love and sorrow. You see, ultimately, if we love our brother and sister in Christ, we should be greatly grieved for them that they're behaving in a way that is so displeasing to the Lord. They are so wrapped up in their sin that they can't see how their sin is affecting their testimony, their relationship with the Lord, and ultimately the testimony of Christ in this world as they call themselves a believer in Christ. And so it's with great sorrow and great love that we need to approach our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if we, if we don't love a person and we allow them to continue to living the way that they are and never confront them, that's not the loving thing to do. We can say that we love that person, but if we're unwilling to do the difficult things, to do the hard things, to restore them to their relationship with the Lord, that's not love. Genuine love makes sacrifices and does hard things to bring that person back to their relationship with the Lord. You see, because the key word in this whole process is repent. Ultimately, we, we're not involved in church discipline and we're not involved in teaching about certain things to make people feel bad about themselves, to, to make them uh, you know, have poor self-esteem or any of those kinds of things, to make them feel guilty even. Guilt is not a great motivator. The motivation that we have as brothers and sisters to one another is repentance and restoration. You see, all of us are involved in sin on a regular basis. They talked about that in the video, that, that sometimes church leaders avoid church discipline because then, then people will start turning the lens back upon them. And the reality is, as we know, if we're all honest with one another, we sin daily. But it's not about just sinning. It's about having an attitude of willful disobedience to God and not caring about how that affects our lives, the lives of others around us, and the testimony that we have for Christ. So we have to be willing to confess and repent of our sin and to seek to overcome it through the power of prayer and through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But someone who is involved in such willful disobedient sin that they're not able to do that, it's our responsibility as a brother or sister in Christ to bring them back to their relationship, to bring them back to repentance, and to bring them back in restoration to their Lord and Savior. You see, so church discipline only takes place when that person is unwilling to deal with their sin on their own unwilling to do the things that are necessary to 
draw themselves back into that relationship with the Lord. Because ultimately, all we have to do is repent and turn from our sin, and God wants to restore that relationship with us. But for some reason, some people are not willing to do that. And so I think it's important that we, we understand then why church discipline is so important. And, and, and Tim's given us six reasons why we must carry out church discipline. The first of which is, is that we love them, and so it's for the good of the person disciplined. Sometimes it's hard to really believe that, but if we examine the situation, we know that we're doing it for the good of the person who is disciplined because the law of the Lord is good. It is what, what allows us to live in this fallen, sinful world and to get through day by day in such a way that we can bring glory to God. We can't do that if we're not willing to obey God's law. And so it's for the good of the person being disciplined. The second reason is that it's for the good of other Christians. They see the danger of their sin. A very famous quote that I like to share with teens, my kids, and it's, and it's regarding sin, and it's to tame the tiger while it's still a cub. Because when it grows into a tiger, it's going to be so vicious that you, you can no longer tame your sin once it grows to a certain point. And, and so we want to, through church discipline, for the good of other Christians, show them that we want you to avoid this sin. See how destructive that sin is? You need to take care of that before it gets to that point in your life. Third reason is for the spiritual health of the church as a whole. We see all throughout Scripture examples of, of churches and, and gathering of people or the Israelites when there's sin in the camp. There's judgment on the whole group. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira uh, is a perfect example of, of, of when Ananias and Sapphira were, were involved in sin and they were, they, were, they were holding things back and they were lying about it. The whole camp was being punished. And so for the good of the church, we need to be involved in church discipline. And it's also for the sake of meaningful church membership. You see, the one of the things that we talk about in the nine marks of a healthy church is that church membership is an important part of who we are as a body of believers. Well, if just anyone can be a member of our church and can be involved in anything that they want, then church membership loses its meaning and significance. And everybody is allowed to just kind of come or go and do whatever they please. But church membership is more than that. And it is important. And so we need to discipline for the sake of of meaningful church membership. And we also have to do it for the witness of the church. If a man or woman is running around in the community doing who knows what, people are watching. When you're at work, when you're at school, when you're out in the community, when you're at the gas station, when you're in the grocery store, if people know that you are a believer in Christ, they are watching. And yeah, most of the time they're watching to say, look, see, look at that, that's a hypocrite. And they don't have to look very hard to see that we do fall and we do stumble. But there's a difference between normal sin 
in repentance, in that willful disobedience. And, and when someone is out in the community with an attitude refusing to repent and refusing to live a life of godliness, it's a poor reflection on the corporate witness of this church. And ultimately, we need to carry out church discipline for the glory of God as we reflect his holiness. We serve a perfect, holy, righteous God. And if we are called to be his children, and we tell people that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, we need to reflect his character and nature to the world around us. And that's a high calling, and that's a high responsibility. But that's why we as a body of believers have to encourage one another and when necessary, rebuke and discipline one another. Because God's name and fame and glory are worth it. That's why we have to do that. And, you know, it's important for us to note that, you know, church discipline, sometimes it gets the rap of, oh, that's just the really fundamental churches that are involved in those things. You know, Christianity Today did an article on Rick Warren's Saddleback Church where, where they disciplined hundreds of people out of their church for not coming to church regularly or known sin uh, in their lives that they were unwilling to repent of. It's a normal biblical practice that has somehow become out of vogue in our culture because nobody wants to be the person who says, oh, you know what? That's displeasing to God. But the reality is, is that is what God has called us to do as a body of believers. In fact, it's in our church constitution. In Article 5, Section 3, for the dismissal of members, it says, Any member who is guilty of serious misconduct and who persists in the same after due admonition of the pastors and deacons may be dismissed by the unanimous consent of the deacons. We are always to keep in mind the exhortation of Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. We do need to watch ourselves. We don't want to fall into the sin that we see others involved in. And when sin goes unrepented of, and there are no consequences of it in the church. It's easy to fall into the trap of sin and say, oh, well, then that must not be a very serious matter. When sin is a very serious matter in the eyes of our perfect, holy, heavenly Father. So our next point this evening is, is the eighth mark of a healthy church. A concern for discipleship and growth. If Church discipline is a hard thing to speak about and a hard thing to talk about. Man, church discipleship and growth is, is a wonderful thing to speak about. Growth in, in our relationship with Christ is why every pastor does what they do. We want to see men and women growing in their relationship with Christ. We want to see men and women developing into a more godly man or woman. So the eighth mark of a healthy church is a healthy church, as a healthy church, we are concerned with a different kind of growth. We are concerned with spiritual growth. It's not about numerical growth. It's about men and women growing in godliness. A healthy care, church cares about the spiritual growth of all of its members, from the youngest to the oldest. 
And we're to encourage and come alongside and share life together in such a way that causes one another to grow in godliness and grow in our relationship with Christ. And the church is the vehicle that God has designed to do that in this world. The church is the community where we're to be gathered together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to do the things that cause one another to grow. If, if we just come to church to you know, feel better about ourselves, if we just come to church to have a good feeling, if we just come to church to say, okay, maybe that'll offset some of the things I've been doing throughout the week, we're missing the point. Every one of us should walk in these doors each week looking to interact with other brothers and sisters in Christ and to do that in such a way that I'm causing them to grow in their relationship with Christ and they're causing me to grow in my relationship with Christ. That's what a healthy church should be concerned about. You see, because our spiritual life is supposed to be, uh, is supposed to be evident in all that we do. But we do live in a fallen, sinful world. And so it is a struggle. Pastor Tim is fond of using John Piper's uh, analogy that we need to make war on the flesh because every single one of us faces sin and temptation from within and from without each and every day. And if we're honest with one another, life is sometimes a struggle. But that's why we should have one another. That's why God has called us to be part of the church together so that we can encourage one another, so that we can help one another grow. Because the truth of the matter is that it is an uphill climb towards spiritual maturity and development in our relationship with Christ. Because we face the sin in this world and the sin that is in our flesh, it is an uphill climb. So in our walk with Christ, there is no neutral. We can't coast. When we think we're coasting, in fact, we're rolling down the hill. And so you and I need to, to gab, be willing to gather together each and every week to encourage one another to grow in godliness. But Unfortunately, even in Bible teaching churches, there's a, there's a certain segment of the congregation that just thinks, you know, showing up is good enough. As long as I'm present, then that's going to help me to grow. I don't really have to listen to the messages that are being preached. I don't really have to go to God's Word on my own and try to grow in my own spiritual life. I don't really have to uh, invest in the lives of one another just being there will be good enough. But that has caused so many people to become spiritually stagnant. And even worse than that, even worse than not growing in our faith, is not caring that we're not growing in our faith. And if that's you here tonight, then you need to find a fellow believer, a brother or sister in Christ. And you need to talk to them about that and say, hey, I need some help. I am stagnant in my relationship with Christ. I am not growing in my knowledge and in the application of God's word in my life. And I need some help in that. 
You need to talk to one of the pastors. If you can't find somebody in this body that you can talk to about that, you need to talk to one of the pastors so that we can help put you with somebody who can come alongside you to bear, help bear your burdens, help bear your struggles, and to bring you along in such a way that you will continue to grow. Because otherwise, you will be at a place in your life where you will not be growing, you will not be becoming mature in Christ. And everyone that is in Christ should be growing up in Christ and, and maturing in our relationship with Christ. Regarding that, Mark Dever says, in a quote, he says, Some today seem to think that one can be a baby Christian for a whole lifetime. Growth seems to be an optional extra for particularly zealous disciples. But be very careful about taking that line of thought. Growth is a sign of life. Growing trees are living trees, and growing animals are living animals. When something stops growing, it dies. And we need to remind ourselves that if we are not growing in our relationship with Christ, there is something preventing that. Oftentimes, that's sin. And that's why church discipline is important. Because we need to come alongside one another and, and be willing to say, hey, I am not seeing growth in your life. And we need to be able to come alongside one another and say, hey, I am not seeing growth in my life. Can you help me? Can you come alongside and help me to grow? And we need to be willing to ask difficult questions of ourselves and one another. How are you doing in your walk with Christ? How are you doing in maturing in your knowledge and in your faith? You see, God has designed us to grow spiritually. He wants us to grow spiritually. And he has supplied us with everything that we need to grow spiritually. It's not his fault if we're not growing. 2 Peter 1, 3-4, which is not going to be on the screen, says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And that's in the NIV because I'm not as diligent as Tim and I haven't re-memorized everything in the ESV. He amazes me. But it says, By which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We don't have an excuse. If we're not growing, it's not God's fault. He's given us the Holy Spirit so that we can grow. And if we're not growing, it must be that there's sin in our life or something preventing us in our life from growing in him. It is not God's fault. But the reality is, is that it is a war. It is a daily battle. And you and I, if we want to grow, have to be engaged in that daily battle because it takes energy and effort. Even though God's divine power has given us everything that we need, we aren't just able to sit back and say, well, then it's all up to God. 2 Peter 3.18 continues to instruct us with that. It says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever, to the day of eternity. Amen. You and I have been called as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And then he said, now that you are mine, 
grow. Grow in the knowledge of Christ. Grow in obedience to Christ. Read my words and do what it says. And you and I are responsible to do that in our lives. And a healthy church is going to be a church that's concerned about the growth of all of its members from the youngest to the oldest. The ninth mark of a healthy church is biblical church leadership. Authority and submission are very much a part of the framework that God has built into his world. There is no way we can look at the world around us that God has created and say, there's not order. There is so much order and structure in our world. We serve a God of order, not a God of chaos. And his church should be a reflection of that. As his children, our lives should be a reflection of that. It doesn't mean on a daily basis we're not going to have some disorder and chaos in our lives. And for those of you who have been in my office, you know that I'm familiar with disorder and chaos. Maybe that's a matter for church discipline, but that's a whole different thing. As God's children, you and I should reflect authority and submission in our lives. Every realm of society has authority in it because God has created that. It's his authority that we are ultimately submitting to. And it's true in a very special way in the church. But as Pastor Tim preached about last Sunday, many people in today's culture have a problem with authority. Many people in today's culture want nothing to do with submission to authority. And in fact, there are some that have a very serious anti-authority issue in their lives. And if God is the ultimate authority, and there's not an authority in my life that God has not allowed to be there, then we have to be careful that we are not rebelling against God himself when we're rebelling against the authorities in our lives. As a Christian, if we have a serious problem with authority, we have a serious problem with Scripture. And ultimately, we have a serious problem with God. And so, even in this world where there is sin, and even in this world where there are bad church leaders sometimes who fall into sin themselves and who have their own struggles, God has chosen to bring together a plurality of leaders in the local church to bring about his goals and missions here in this world. So, so I want to acknowledge that even in churches, there have been those who have been abused their authority. But that doesn't give us an excuse to say, well, then I want nothing to do with the church. So many people that we come across say, well, you know, I used to go to church, but then there was this one bad pastor, so I don't go to church anymore. Think about what that means. Well, there was this one bad pastor, so God must have been wrong about his bride. That's ultimately what those people are saying. I ran into one bad person, and so the church is gone. It's dead to me. We don't do that in anything else in our lives. I ran into one bad police officer. So all police officers are bad, and I don't have to obey any laws. Right? 
we do have some people in our world that are acting that way, and we look at them and we say, that's just ridiculous. But yet we allow Christians to sometimes get away saying those things about the church. We shouldn't allow those things. And ultimately, it's not just the leadership that has this responsibility. There's this, there's this shared responsibility because we are the body of Christ. So the congregation plays a crucial role in working with church leaders as those leaders carry out their God-given responsibilities. A pastor cannot lead a church if people will not be led. And people cannot be led if a pastor will not step up and do the things that God has called him to do. There's, there's a relationship that we have, this mutual submission to one another because we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the beauty of the church. And when it's done well, the world looks at that and they say, wow, that is something different than what I know. That is something completely unique in this world. And I want to be part of something like that. And then ultimately we get to tell them that it's not me that causes this. It's not any pastor. It's not having great members in the church. What it is, is that we have a relationship with Christ. And that he's redeemed us from our sin. And he's called us and he's saved us. And then he's empowered us by the power of his Holy Spirit in us to live this way. It's all about what Christ has done in our lives, not about us. And so, so we need to see that, that the congregation and church leaders need to work together hand in hand to bring about this beautiful testimony that the church can have in the local community. And ultimately, the church also protects against false teaching. The church, the, the members in the church are the ones that, that have to be good Bereans and listen to God's word as it's preached and say, you know what, that Pastor Chad's a little bit off. And I need to talk to him about that. Because either I misunderstood him or that guy's out to lunch. But if we just sit back and allow pastors to say anything they want that's not found in God's word, then pastors can take that congregation anywhere their sinful flesh allows them to. The only reason false teachers thrive is because people sitting there listening to the messages that they share choose to listen and follow instead of going to God's word and saying, what does God's word ultimately say about that. And so in the church, in a healthy church, there is a, a beautiful relationship between the leadership with one another and the leadership with the body of believers. And that's the way God's designed it, and that's the way God gets the most glory. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Leaders lead as those who must give account. Someday, pastors will stand before the Lord and he'll say, how did you shepherd my flock? How did you to, to help them grow? And someday you'll stand before the Lord and he'll say, how did you help those pastors shepherd you with joy? How did you help those pastors 
do their work amongst you with love and concern and great joy as you grew together in godliness. Mark Dever, speaking of this, says, Think of the pastors you have had in your church. Have you worked in such a way that you have made their leadership of you and their charge of your soul a joy to them? Or have you made it a burden? Ultimately, leaders must be godly men. We see the qualifications for church leaders. They're clearly given to us in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. That's where it starts. We go to God's word and we find men who are equipped by God to lead. And then we help to train them. And then we allow them to shepherd us. And then we grow with them in godliness together. You know, we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of what God's requirements are in his word for godly leaders. And we must commit to, in humility, call our leaders, myself included, to live by those callings and qualifications. That's our role as the men called and charged to lead you. And your role is to live your lives in such a way that it is a joy to serve you. And I'll be honest, I think we're very blessed at this church. I think we've had a, a great relationship with the leadership and the congregation. But we need to always continue to develop that. We need to constantly be mindful of that by making sure our leaders are qualified and that the hearts of our congregation are in step with the Lord and willing to walk together in a way that is a joy, not just for the leaders, but everyone around us as well. Call us to be examples to the flock. As they said in those videos, we want you to say, we want to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And we want you to say that to everyone around you as well. And then what we have is this beautiful body of believers with pockets of men and women all living their life for Christ, living as an example of, of Christ to one another and following the example being set by one another. And when we do that, our hearts will be so knit together and it will be a beautiful testimony of what only God can do when he calls sinful men and women to himself and redeems them and they're willing to walk through the power of his Holy Spirit in their lives. That is what it means to be a healthy church. A healthy church reflects the Lord Jesus to the world around us. And I'm thankful for men like Mark Dever who write books to remind us of what a healthy church looks like. That's not the only book. I'd encourage you to constantly be searching and growing in what it means to walk with Christ in your own life and what it means to walk with Christ in the context of the church which God has called you to be a part of. At this time, we're going to look at uh, a review one more time of the nine marks of a healthy church, and then Chris will come uh, and close us in a song. So let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are at work in our lives 
and in the world around us. And you have called us to be part of your bride, the church. Help us to steward that responsibility well, to live a life of godliness as individuals and as a body so that we will be a healthy church. And Father, we don't ask this for our glory, but for yours. We want to reflect your character and your nature to the world around us. And we do that by being your willing servants and your obedient children. Glorify yourself in our midst, we pray. Protect us from the evil one who would seek to destroy. And Father, may your hand of blessing be on us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The reason I thought of the nine marks as I did was because I saw it was unusual to be a mature or growing Christian in a church. Uh, and I just thought it shouldn't be like that. It should be normal in a church to find people who are actually growing as Christians. And so I started to, to look and think and pray and look at scripture and think, well, what, what's going on? And I just started jotting down some thoughts about why aren't churches more populated with people who are normally growing as Christians. And so I thought of various one of the things that I now call, you know, these nine marks of a healthy church. A, a biblical concern with discipleship and growth. And then part of that seems like, well, you've got to be able to say what a Christian is clearly in order to teach that. And that means part of that's got to say what a Christian isn't. So I started looking at this idea of church membership and church discipline, you know, bringing them in and putting them out because that kind of defines it. And then also behind that, of course, is a biblical idea, well then, how do you decide what a Christian is fundamentally comes from what you think the gospel is. So what is the gospel? And depending on what you think the gospel is, well then, okay, then what's conversion? What does it mean to become someone who believes this? And then what kind of evangelism do you practice in order to get these people in your church in the first place? And then, of course, the framework of that is the biblical theology. Okay, well, what, what is the Bible telling us as a whole? What's the, what's the framework of it? And then behind that, where does it all come from? It comes from the Word of God, if we think the Bible is the Word of God. And so uh, kind of having a, a commitment to and an understanding of expositional preaching, that is that what we want to do when we gather is hear from God. And so the minister of the Word is supposed to give himself to reading and explaining and preaching and applying God's Word to us. And then the other one is just biblical church leadership, because I thought, well, if you're going to make some changes that a commitment to these things is going to require in most churches, you're going to need some pretty solid leaders who are going to have wisdom and courage and humility. These nine marks are things that are biblical. They're things that we see in the scriptures when we read them. And some of them may not be very obvious because they haven't been being done in churches for a while, and some of them are very obvious. Some of them people talk about a lot, but these nine marks are things that are absolutely vital to the health of the church.